Welcome to part two of my interview with the best-selling fiction writer Jessica Brody. For this episode, I began by asking her how some great fiction authors are able to create stories and characters that are as authentically believable as those we see in real life. I mentioned to you recently, I think, that I'm really getting into some 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 Korean dramas on on Netflix, yeah. which I've seen. Uh, particularly, there was one called My Mister, which was really, really brilliant storytelling um, in terms of, you know, in, in, in my estimation. And one thing I thought about is, I, it was while I was watching it, um, I couldn't predict what was going to happen next. So everything came as a, a, a nice surprise, uh, which is a great place to be as a, as a viewer. Uh, but then looking back on the whole story after 16 episodes, I began to think, although I couldn't predict what was going to happen, it all seemed inevitable. <laughs> yeah. In the end. And I love that feeling. And that's what that kind of feeling gave me of that feeling of satisfaction that this is a great story. Does that resonate at all? Yeah, I think that's a in in terms of structure, that's a matter of setups and payoffs. Like I'm a mm. big believer in everything you pay off needs to be set up earlier. And and that's something that often doesn't happen until you revise because you don't really know what's going to happen. So like every time you have some sort of big momentous event, you want to plant clues earlier on that that is coming that the reader will miss and the hero, the story will miss. Like everyone misses it. But then once you once it happens, you can, as like just exactly what happened to you, you go back and you go, well, actually... That was planted from the beginning. I just didn't see it at the time. And that's what will give you that feeling of like, oh, well, of course that had to happen. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's just this really brilliant like writerly manipulation at work where mm. you where you take what's already happened and you go back to the start and you, you try to weave it in in a clever way that that nobody will notice until it's paid off. So is it fair to say that sometimes your stories start with an idea about you know what what might happen or what kind of situation a character's in or could it also start with just oh there's this character I love this character or I love this relationship between the characters can it start in any of those ways or do you so, have a dominant? Yeah. Mm. I think I, I'm I think all ideas just start as a seed and those seeds take really different forms you know sometimes my ideas start as like a snippet of dialogue that I can see the character having sometimes my ideas start as just a character or a side character who I have to decide like who's going to be related to this person or um mm. I think ideas can come you know you could you could see like a really or think up a really magical setting or really you know like a school for witches and wizards I don't know if that was her initial idea but you could come up with a setting and then decide how am I going to create a story about this setting and every mm. every idea is basically just a seed that needs to be you know planted and watered and harvest and then it grows into this bigger thing um after you tend to it and and give it you know what it needs to grow um mm. but the seeds can be anything and how often do the ideas and the characters and the plots change as you're writing so that they become something different from what you started out as all the time <laughs> um <laughs> then that's sort of the and do you have to be careful about that like I mean because if you're too precious about the original idea you might not let it grow into a way that's more fruitful. yes yes it's um I tell people there's so in the in the fiction writing world there's 
there's sort of this universal truth that there's two types of writers. One is called a plotter or a planner, and this is the type of writer who likes to plot everything before they start and write outlines and character bios and, you know, build the whole world and, and before they write a single word. And then there's these people called pantsers, which comes from the term of writing by the seat of your pants. Um, which is the the writers who just like to kind of just start going. You know, they get a seed and they just start writing and they sort of figure it out as they go. Um, and then, you know, I personally think it's more of a spectrum between plotting and pantsing. But um, plotters have this, which I am firmly a plotter. I, um, they have this danger of being too limited by the plot that they thought was going to happen. And the anytime you sort of have an idea for a story and you have an expectation of it, it's great because it gives you inspiration and that's good fuel, but you have to be willing to let that go when the story takes a new shape. Otherwise you'll just be constantly having a fight with your creativity as opposed to letting it flow. That's really great advice. Um, when you have written it, you know, there's this, there's this editing part of it and there's the writing part of it. There's the editing part of it. How do you see that? I mean, as you said, the writer is kind of like a, like a, I don't know, like a sculptor or a magician in a way, like taking all this and giving you this tremendous experience. You're having to later craft and, you know, make changes to the plot in order to have a bigger effect, a more dramatic effect or whatever, whatever it is that you feel right. is needed. Uh, how do you, I mean, how do you see that process as writing versus editing? How, do, how does that break down for you? Um, well, I do, I do my editing in different stages, or I call passes. Um, I try to break it down into different levels so that I'm not trying to edit everything at once. You know, when you write a first draft, you have a really messy pile of pages. And um, it can be very overwhelming to just go start at page one and just start revising. So I try to break it down into these different levels. So the first level, which is the kind of the first pass that I do is, um, where I fix all the big stuff, like the big story arcs, the plots, the, like the the order of the scenes. Um, so I call it the story level pass. And then after I kind of get everything in the right order and I feel like, okay, the plot's working, um, then I will go to the next level, which I call the sort of the scene level pass. And that's where I'll kind of nail, drill down into individual chapters or scenes and make sure the pacing of the scene is right, that the dialogue feels nice, you know, good and um, any any kind of changes I want to make on the chapter level to make mm. each chapter work in, in itself because each chapter or scene should be like a little mini story and so you right. want to make sure that those all working and then from there I go to the page level and and kind of the sentence level and make sure that the every word is something I is the right word and that there's no superfluous sentences and that oh, was there a better way I could have said this a tighter way um, mm. so I kind of do it I drill down that way and it it helps me manage the process and so that it doesn't feel overwhelming. But then also it just doesn't make any sense to like start, you know, futzing around with a sentence for five hours that may not make it into the next draft because, you know, mm. we were going to rearrange the story anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Cause it's like, so approaching it in terms of all these different layers yeah. and levels. So you're turning over every stone and polishing it. Right. And I think that's what really makes the difference between good writers, even nonfiction writers and, and bad writers, exactly. is that they consider everything, all the layers. And so that's a really useful um, insight. How, how, how important is structure to a novel? <laughs> 
if you had asked me 20 years ago, I would say, what's structure? Um, <laughs> but then I wasn't published. So um, there's a lesson there. Uh, I, I mean, I wrote a book on structure. So I'm going to say it's super, super important. Um, I think there's there's the kind of writers that structure just comes naturally and they don't have to study it. And they just naturally tell a story with a structure and they don't even know they're doing it. Um, and so then you know, it feels like, oh, structure is not really a thing. It's just, you just tell a story. But for the majority right. of us, like me, um, you know, my first novel was, was, was rejected all over town because the, the critic critique basically said, your writing is good, but you have no story. And I didn't really understand what that meant until I started to study story structure. And I realized, oh, this doesn't have a structure. It just kind of is this nebulous thing. Um, so I think stories, I think structure is, is uber important because it, it helps you manage the flow of the story. It helps make sure that the character is transforming in a believable way. And it helps you create that rising stakes and that, you know, con continuously um, pressing conflict that has to get worse and worse and worse. And it helps you just keep track of all of that. Mm. And as far as character goes, which is the other side of the, the other really important part of a, a story, uh, it's very easy, and I've come across this problem myself a lot, is where, you know, you have an idea for a character and you say, okay, this person is, you know, uh, has this type of character. Maybe they're an angry person or they're, you know, a sympathetic person or whatever. And what's the difference between having a character and having a caricature where, you know, you've got these kind of a sense of who they are, but but it never kind of feels right within a story because you're just kind of making them fulfill a, a function. Uh, how do you make a character feel real? How do you do that? Um, I try, it's a good question. And I think, I think a lot of first drafts are guilty of having caricatures and I think that's okay. You know, sometimes you just have to create a shape of a character before you can really drill down into who they are. And, right. and I think it's definitely fine to start writing when you maybe just have a few ideas and they feel more of like a caricature. Um, but then as you write, you're going to discover more about them. And I think the way to really get, create flesh and bone out of a character is to, you know, give them a backstory, give them wounds that have injured them in their backstory, give them trauma if that's necessary, give them, um, you know, flaws, give them things that they want, things that they need. Um, and there's just, there's so many layers to a human being and the, the more you can kind of tap into those layers of your character and figure out why they do the things they do. And I think that's really the big question of character is the question of why. So right. every time a character, whether it's like a side character, like the taxi driver in one chapter of your novel or the main character, everything that that character does and you as the author, even if it doesn't come across on the page, you have to understand why they're doing it. Otherwise, it and that, will feel false. And that's really interesting psychologically because even the language you use to explain that, what, I mean, at first you're creating a character. We talk about creating characters. And then you're talking about learning about the characters. And that's more like almost as, you're, as if you're receiving something from them. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and is that the sort of way the process works? You start off, you create the character, but then you start learning who they are in, in a certain sense something is telling you who they are. Yeah, and 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 like I said, every the whole process of writing a book is a discovery process of every layer of your story and your characters as well. And you kind of whether you think of them as these 
these beings that you have to discover, you know, because, and they're already fully fleshed out somewhere in the ether and you just have to find <laughs> them. Or you're thinking, you know, in a different, the opposite way where you are creating them out of nothing. But every time they do something, you are having to add a layer to them. Um, mm. Either way, it's the same thing. You know, you're, you're discovering these people. And if you think about it, like, a relationship with anyone when you first meet them you know you have very superficial conversation and you you start digging deeper and deeper the longer you know someone um and and they start to become more real to you and then you can start saying things like oh i know what shawnee would do in this position you know i would mm. i bet he would do this because i know him on a different level than i did when i first met him you know yeah and how so then how much of a backstory do, do your characters have at the start of the novel, they have sort of a, for me, they have kind of a, a sketch of a backstory. Like I might know a few details like, oh, their, you know, their mother died when they were little or, you know, their best friend was in a car accident or like I'll, I'll sort of create a few details that help me sort of cement this character in wherever they are at the start of the story. But then a lot of those details just get discovered as I go and mm. in the way that they interact with the other, with the other characters. And sometimes you, you know, it works the other way where you have a plot point you really want to work because you're excited about it and you go, Oh, I really want them to bond with, you know, this, I don't know, this teacher, but in order to bond with this one teacher, they have to have lost someone who was sort of similar to that teacher in the past. So I'm going to think about that. But you know what I mean? Like you have to, sometimes you have to work backward and go, well, I really want this to work. So what about this character will make that work? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and a character also speaks and, and, and dialogue is a, a, an essential part of anything, screenwriting uh, especially, but also novel writing. Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent does dialogue, when, you, when you're creating dialogue, does that flow naturally from character always, or are you sometimes trying to just make the plot work or, you know, that kind of thing? Well, dialogue for me is my, is my favorite thing to write. So if you ask this question to another author, they might give you a completely different answer. But for me, I, my joke is if I could write an entire novel of just witty banter, I would, but nobody would publish it. So I don't do that. Um, <laughs> but I just, I love putting two people together especially if they have kind of um, friction and just letting them battle it out through dialogue. So mm. I love writing dialogue and it often will, it, it will often like overpower the book. And um, a lot of my edit letters from my editor come back as like, can we, can we sort of cut back on the dialogue a bit? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's always a balance. You want, you want action, you want dialogue, you want description, you want internal if reflection like there's there's lots of different elements that you want in a in a good story um but uh dialogue can definitely tell you a lot about the person um so can how they react to situations so can how they think um all those components can help you reveal them i know in screenplay when i was taught screenplay writing um the teacher once said that di- you only use dialogue when you can't ex- express it in a visual you know the same thing in a visual Way I guess the same doesn't apply to novels. There's much more, uh, and there's much more room for extensive dialogue, right? There is, and dialogue is such a great tool for getting things out of a character's head. Um, I mean, it depends on what point of view you're writing from, right? So if I write a lot of first person, and so that's when you're using I and me and my, um, mm. which automatically puts you in the character, right in the character's head, 
and writers can sometimes who write in first person can fall into the trap of re relying too much on the character's thoughts. So, I mean, you could write an entire novel where they don't say a thing because everything's happening in their heads. Um, but it's not going to make for a very good novel. So, you know, what dialogue does is it gets things out of their heads. So a lot of times if I find myself in a situation where I'm writing a scene and the character is explaining too much of what's going on to the reader or in within their own thoughts, um, then I will just put another person in the scene and have them explain it. So the book I'm writing right now, this the girl, she has no friends because she moves around a lot. And so I gave her a dog and she talks to the dog. And of course the dog doesn't talk back, but it's allowed me to actually bring the story out of her mind, which can really help make it more dynamic. You mentioned that you had uh, editors who were, do, who were editing your yeah. novels. How much scope do they have to, to, to influence how it ends up? <laughs> That's a great question. It's tricky. Um, so it's a tricky question because it depends on the editor. It depends on the writer and the relationship. But what's important to know, if you are a writer who has sold your book to a publisher, which is called traditional publishing, um, the editor you're working with wants the same things as you want. So they want your book to succeed. They want people to read it. They want people to love it. They want critics to love it. Um, so you are, you are very aligned in your goals with that editor. Um, and it can be hard because sometimes they have a different vision of what will make the book successful. But it's always important to keep in mind that they're, that we're like, you're all on the same team, right? So um, when an editor gives me a, uh, a suggestion that I don't that I don't like. My rule is I have to have a reason for not, for sort of rejecting it, and it can't just be I don't want to do that. Um, it you know I have to kind of make myself think through the whole process. Like, well, if I do that, then I don't feel like the character's motivation will be strong enough, or I don't think that will set up what I want to do in the third act, or whatever it is. Um, and I think that for me, that really helps me make sure that I'm thinking of it objectively. Um, and not just, you know, going, I don't want to do that because that's going to change what I love. Um, mm. But in the end, you know, your editor, they always tell me that that I can say no and that it's my book in the end. But if you are too resistant to, to changes from your editor, I guess they have the ability to uh, to reverse the contract and say, well, you know, this isn't what we wanted and et cetera. So, um, so it, yeah, so it can be a, a tricky relationship. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And as far as like, as well as the psychological side, which we talked about uh, writing, but there's also like the physical side, which a lot of people uh, don't often talk about. But with with you, when you're writing a novel, how important is it to create the right kind of physical environment for you to write in? Oh, I'm huge about that, actually. And one of the courses I teach is called Productivity Hacks for Writers. And it's all about how to create the most productive environment, the most productive mindset, how to, you know, hack all your devices so they're working for you and not against you and things like that. But I think that's something that's really overlooked by a lot of writers is, you know, we have this idea in our mind of this writer who's like drinking 20 cups of coffee and then drinking booze all night, you know, and like <laughs> barely sleeping or whatever it is, um, but are sort of kind of um, just neglecting their health or just, you know, uh, abusing them themselves. Right. Um, mm. and that's just not going to make for a very productive writer. Um, so I'm really big on eating the right foods, you know, eating 
protein, heavy foods, low carb, low sugar. Sugar is a horrible brain crasher um, and it just doesn't make for very creative brains. I'm really big on movement, you know, making sure you're getting up and walking and getting your heart rate up and um, all of those things. And I find that the better I take care of myself, the better my writing is um, because the clearer my head is. So, um, so it's, it's something I actually teach writers a lot about is like, you have to think of how you're taking care of the engine, you know, think of your body as like, as like an expensive sports car, you know, you're not going to put in the cheap gasoline into your Ferrari or whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. you're going to put in like the top notch gasoline. So think of your body as the same thing. And if you want to create really great output, you need to put good things into it. Mm, Got it. Um, and all that said, do you still sometimes suffer from procrastination? <laughs> uh, well, I think we all do, but I'm pretty good at it now. I'm pretty good at avoiding it now. I can sense when I'm when I'm when I'm procrastinating. You know, like oh, I'm just gonna check the mail, or I'm just gonna whatever it is. You know, I'm like mm. no. Well, I know from from knowing you that that that, that you put a, a lot of emphasis on avoiding distractions, yeah. and I, you once told me that when you wake up in the morning, there's a certain routine. Yeah that you have, which, which gets you set up for, for, for the writing that you do. What can you just run through that? Yeah. Yeah. And this sort of goes along with the physical preparations that you, we were talking about is, you know, you have to, you have to prep your day so that you're kind of setting yourself up for success. Um, so what I do is I, when I wake up, I don't look at anything in, until I've written. So that includes, I don't look at email. I don't look at my phone. I don't look at social media. I don't turn on the television. I don't read a book. It's like nothing else content wise is coming into my head um, until I've actually. So you don't check emails or anything like that? No, no. And I think email is one of those like kind of productivity destroyers. Um, I mean, the, the mindset that I've adopted is that every day you wake up with a brand new computer is like your brain is like a brand new computer every morning. It's not clogged. It's not, you know, weighed down with a bunch of programs running in the background. It's this like fresh new computer. So the first program you open every day is going to run the smoothest and the fastest. So I try to make sure that that first program is my book and whatever I'm most whatever I'm prioritizing that day, which is usually my book. Um, And after that's done, then I can like do all the other things that sort of would would clog up my brain power, take up processing power. Um, So the first thing I do when I wake up is I take my dog for a quick walk. um, I meditate. I actually do do a gratitude journal, which is just where you write down things you're grateful for. Um, I make my breakfast smoothie, which I eat the same thing every morning. I make a cup of coffee and I write. And that's my routine every single morning, seven days a week, 365 days a week. How long do you write for? Only about two hours. But I find that in setting myself up with no distractions and like kind of funneling myself into that writing zone every morning that I can write anywhere between 1,500 and 3,000 words in two hours, um, which, you know, sets me up to finish a first draft in uh, anywhere between three and 12 weeks, depending on the the length. So right now, Mm -hmm. as you're waking up and going straight to your writing project, what are you working on? I'm working on a, um, on a middle grade novel for uh, like 10 year olds. That's uh, about a girl who has to kind of find her, find herself and find her identity in her new middle school. Um, and she does that by 
adopting three different personalities and sort of reinventing herself three different times. So she's kind of like playing three people at once, trying to figure out which one's going to be the, the best fit. And uh, she finds that all three personalities sort of find a place in the school. And now she's got to juggle them all and figure out how to, how to survive. Why do you think you like writing for that particular market? Um, well, I once heard a writer say, an Australian writer, actually, I once heard a writer say that um, all writers write in, for the age group that they're stuck at. I think he actually used a, <laughs> a fancier term. I think he said the, the age group that they're arrested at. Um, and I thought that was really fun. And he writes for eight, eight-year-old boys. <laughs> um, mm. And I think that's kind of true. And I, I think I'm just constantly stuck at like 13 years old. <laughs> I never think of myself. So are there any kind of unresolved issues from Probably. that time? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like the hardest part of my life. So maybe I'm just still trying to right. work it out. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and where Jessica, um, can, can people find more about your work and get access to your courses or your books? Yeah. Uh, jessicabrody.com is my website and you can find my books there and my online courses. And, um, I do a bunch of free writing tips on my blog and things like that. Excellent. Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and wisdom uh, with us so freely and openly today. Um, I know my listeners are going to emerge from this interview full of ideas and full of inspiration so uh, let me just wish you the best of luck with all your your present and future writing projects and i'd like just like to thank you once again for, for for joining me jessica on the alchemy of writing podcast and thank you this was really fun i'm shiny roger and you've been listening to the alchemy of writing podcast i have several online courses on udemy and linkedin that teach you how to write with the style and flair of the best journalists in the world for more details about my courses and to gain access to various free writing resources, please visit my website, shaniraja.com.